Listening Dog Media. How to DJ. How to DJ. DJ. How to DJ. Hello, I'm Chris Hawkins and this is How to DJ. The generation I was part of, music was such a vital part of our identity. And so you looked to it to work out who you were. How to DJ. A podcast that explores the life stories, techniques, minds and experiences of much-loved DJs where I asked them to pick five questions from a box of 45. A DJ often is playing to a room of drunken people who just want to shout along and hug each other. Streaming can't provide that um, because it doesn't have any human warmth in it. With me now is a DJ famous for his exposure show on Radio X. He was the first to play Adele, The XX, Razorlight, Kate Nash, The Ting Tings and Mumford and Sons on the radio. You know, that kind of songwriting does create an instant connection with people. And when you play something like that on the radio, people do respond to it and do wonder, what is that? But because it's so direct, people then also change their opinion because they can tire of it. In some ways, that's a ridiculous thing. And everybody in the room knows it. But everybody in the room is a music lover. And it's a wonderful opportunity to have this kind of conversation and for more than 10 years he's been a mercury music prize judge he is the one and only john kennedy john john hello hello chris how are you i am good uh, delighted to be talking to you and wonder when did exposure start well exposure started in 1999 in february 1999 and it was after a period of of uncertainty so, I mean, if, if, if I'm allowed to kind of go into the history of it. So um, Exposure started on XFM. Um, XFM was a radio station that originally started in 1992 and for five years campaigned to win a license to create, for want of a better description, an alternative radio station for London. Um, but it took five years to get that license. And finally, it got that license in 1997 and started broadcasting full time in September 97. But by the following September... It had been bought out by Capital Radio, who were seen as the kind of enemy. Uh, but there was a bigger picture to the whole XFM thing in that over that five year period, a lot of shareholders had got involved and there was a, a lot of money involved. And so some of those people wanted to realise their money. And uh, that was part of the impetus for being sold. So come autumn 98, we moved from Charlotte Street, where we'd originally been broadcasting, to uh, Leicester Square, where Capital Radio was based. And there was this period of kind of not knowing what was going on. So some of us hadn't survived that transition. Some of us had. I was one of the people who did. And I was given this kind of overnight slot playing playlisted music. And the playlist was not what it had been. Um, and so, you know, I was just trying to work out what was going on. And I, I put forward this idea that there should be at least one show on the station at that point, which was championing new music. And um, they kind of agreed with this. And that show became Exposure. And it started in February 99. So um, we had this period between kind of September 98 and February 99 when things started to shift. And then and then XFM came in and became a, a different station again, uh, another era, um, which lasted for a few more years after that. And amazingly, Exposure has continued um it continued through the change from xfm to becoming radio x and and it's still there now so john what, what was your very first thing that passed as dj um that would have been when i was a student in norwich i went to the university of east anglia and me and a friend were a bit bored 
and we decided to start a, a club night because we weren't happy with what was on offer in Norwich at that point in terms of what we wanted to go out and hear musically. Um, and so we started this night and that was really the start of, of me DJing. Uh, I don't think I'd ever thought about DJing before that. And if I hadn't had this friend who uh, kind of suggested, why don't we do this? Uh, then I probably would never have, have started, I don't think. You kind of need a catalyst or a moment or a person who fires you up, or at least in my case, uh, fired you up to kind of, yeah, let's do it. Let's, why not? You know, what have we got to lose? And uh, <laughs> no, there was nothing to lose because we had nothing. And I, I was just somebody who'd, who was an avid record buyer and an avid gig goer. And, and this seemed like a great way of using all of that um, and and kind of sharing that with people. So what were you like as a teenager? Were you always into alternative music over pop? Yes, I guess I would be, yes. I mean, it, it's something I think about occasionally in terms of the generation I was part of. Music was such a vital part of our identity. And so you looked to it to work out who you were, I think. And that's why you kind of looked for something that you felt reflected you or defined you. And I think a lot of people were attracted to alternative music because they're all individuals you know and and they they wanted to express themselves and by liking you know music that wasn't part of the mainstream then you were not part of the mainstream you were different uh, the funny thing was that you also wanted this music to be part of the mainstream and you delighted in those moments when it became part of the mainstream so the obscure band that you might have liked when they got to Top of the Pops, you thought, yes, it was a victory, a victory for the people who, who were left field. But at the same time, when the left field became the mainstream, you were kind of a bit crestfallen and a bit disappointed because suddenly it was just like everything else. There's a, a lot of contradictions about this whole thing. Yeah, it's uh, hard to know if you're meant to carry on supporting or just stop liking bands like let's say, Keen and Coldplay. Well, it's true. I mean, you mentioned the Ting Tings in your introduction, and they're a really good example. Um, I remember being handed a CD by them of two tracks of theirs um, in Salford on a Friday night, and I was putting on a gig there. And um, then I did my radio show on the Monday night, and I listened to the CD on the way back to London, and I played one of the songs on the Monday night alongside another CD that I'd been given um, that same Friday night. Um, and I was excited about both. I thought they were both great groups, and in probably reality, I personally was more excited about uh, the other band that I'd been given a CD of. Um, but I really liked the Ting Tings. It seemed really nice people. But they got an amazing instant reaction. You know, the, the, One of those things that you know, I'm sure you would probably agree, Chris, that in terms of radio reaction, you don't always get an immediate reaction to something that is brand, brand new. And so this was something that had never been played on the radio. Um, nobody would have ever heard it. And uh, you know, I played this demo and people started texting and saying, what was that tune? What was and it was that Shut Up track. And, you know, lo loads of people really, really loved it. So I continued to play it and I really liked it too. Uh, but the interesting thing was about a year later um, and that song and another one of their songs were, were massive and, and they were really, really successful. If I played them, I'd get people telling me, what, what are you playing that for? You know, stop playing that. That's just you know, terrible. How could you possibly want to play that? And the same kind of thing would happen in clubs in a little DJ set. You'd play something like that. And by that stage, it was a big tune. And so you'd have that, that kind of audience split where because it was familiar, loads of people liked it. And then there was a load of other people who thought, oh, this is crass commercial rubbish. Um, and yet at the heart of it, it was still the same two people who created that music, um, who had a great pop sensibility. And, you know, that pop sensibility was reflected in in their songwriting. And so, you know, that kind of songwriting 
songwriting does create an instant connection with people. And when you play something like that on the radio, people do respond to it and do wonder what is that. But because it's so direct, people then also change their opinion because they can tire of it uh, reasonably quickly too, because it has that instant quality. And and that again illustrates that kind of contradiction about pop music and the way people react so do you still like adele the xx razor like kate nash the ting tings so of course i mean how can you not these are all absolutely incredible artists you know and uh, their success only takes away from the thrill of being part of something that is unknown and that that thrill is kind of about discovering something or coming across something you know is really good and you can't quite put your finger on why it is really good and it stands aside from everything else. And, you know, the fact that it connects with lots of people, really, that only reveals just how good it is. You know, that's a confirmation yeah. of, of how good it is. Uh, to have had the kind of hit rate that you've had with breaking bands, you have to have, I think, a heightened sense of what is going to blow up. Can you pin down what it is that tells you when something's going to be big? I can't, Chris, I'm afraid, because it's primarily a personal reaction um, when I first hear these things. And if it pricks my interest, if it makes me think, hang on a minute, what is that? That sounds really great. Then I'm hooked. I'm involved. I want to play it on the show and, you know, share it with people. And and so it's really, really hard to define. I mean, there are plenty of other artists who have fallen through the exposure net and not been played on the show or, or people that I've been slow to get into. And, and sometimes those are end up being your favourite artist because sometimes when you don't like something instantly and and you're slow to warm to it, it might stay with you longer. And often I'm constantly being proved wrong um, in terms of my taste, or at least I think I am. You know, and, and that for me is part of the joy of it in a way. I mean, I found that when I was a teenager and um, everybody was really into music that I hung out with and we all had really strong opinions about things and you'd make these instant judgments based on hearing half a song or prejudices that you might have had about a group so you might see a picture of them before you heard their music and might not like the picture or vice versa but you had to shout out your opinion and say oh no that's rubbish no I don't like that and then you ended up having to eat your words because the song would sneak up on you and and suddenly you realise, actually, no, I love this. This is amazing. Um, and having that lesson early on, I think, was a, it's a good lesson to have. And, and it's one that comes to us all as you grow older. Uh, but it's good to be wrong and it's good to know that you're wrong. And that's one of the great things, I think, about music and about art and, and its effect on you. Sometimes I think you have to be in the right place to be receptive to something. And, and so sometimes when something doesn't connect with you, you're not in that right place at that point. And then it connects at a later time and you're in that right place then. And that applies to everybody. You know, they often say music finds you when you need it. And, and I, I've seen that borne out many, many times. Yeah, I think that's so true. Have you ever avoided a band if you've missed out on them first time, you've been sent something and not gone with it, and then it's started to get some buzz? Have you ever thought, you know, I'm too embarrassed to jump on this now? It's tricky. It's tricky. A tiny bit, but then sometimes you feel you, you have to kind of be bigger than that and think, no, come on, it's, this is good. I need to share this with people. People want to hear it. It makes sense to, to play it. And that applies on the radio. It applies 
in in clubs as well. I mean, it's particularly in clubs, I think, because you know when you're faced with an audience who want to hear particular music and they're there and they they want it, they're demanding it, um, then you've got to give in. You've got to go. Well, I feel I've got to give in um, because you want to keep people happy. I mean, especially in a club, you're trying to make people happy. That's part of your job. You know, you're trying to entertain people, and if they want to be entertained in a certain way by hearing certain tunes, then if you have it, then you've got to share. Surely. I agree. Uh, tell me, uh, John, how much music do you get sent in any given week? It is a lot, and um, I cannot keep on top of it. And it's changed in terms of how it's sent to me in different ways. And I feel the reality is quite random in terms of what I get to actually listen to and what I get through listening to, because I'm, I'm interested in new releases as well as demos. You know, I want to keep abreast of what's coming out, and I'm completely fascinated and obsessed with the whole new release thing. And I love it when I hear a band's got a new album in the works and they've got a new song that they're putting out and you know I want to keep abreast of, of everything so it's not just the obscure but I'm, I'm always interested in what the big people are doing too uh, especially if they are great artists I want to hear what they're doing because it's important it's all part of the same picture and and the obscure and new um, has meaning in reflection and in contrast to what's coming out through the kind of the bigger artists as well you know it all takes on its own uh, position I think because of that and so yeah it's a, it's an overwhelming amount of music chris that i cannot uh completely methodically go through and so it's quite random i'll, I'll open one email and randomly listen to one mp3 that's attached or one link to it and i won't open another and it, and it seems so unfair and it's nothing personal yeah, I know. It does my head in um, because I, I want to listen to everything. I think it's mm. part of the privilege of the jobs that we have playing new music on the radio. I think part of that is is listening to everything that you get sent. But, you know, there are not enough hours in the day. And then you, if and I've learned from my mistakes here, you said to a band, yeah, I'm going to play this tomorrow. And then Foo Fighters out of the blue announced that they're going to drop something and then that band that you promised you were going to play get bumped for for a little while it's um it's a balancing act isn't it with with so much amazing new music around well what john is your selection process for the show it really is in terms of whether i respond to it you know in terms of what i want to hear at a particular moment i mean it's interesting because sometimes i think some of the softer more mellow music suffers for exposure because I'm not always in that frame of mind and often especially with the way that we listen to things now so say you're sent something you're sent a SoundCloud link and you kind of skip through it um, just to kind of see right what do I think and things that are upbeat are easier to assess than things that are mellow and more relaxing because you kind of need them to stretch out and wash over you in a, in a different kind of way so it's easy to respond to an amazing uh, drum beat or guitar riff and think, yes, I'm going to play that. Um, sometimes I think that the ballads lose out a little uh, because of that. But the process, it really is. Uh, sometimes I'm trying to be methodical and listening to things all the way through. And other times I'm thinking, I'm, time is running out. I need to get sorted out. I need to get on, on top of as much of this as possible. And so I'm whipping through it. And then again, you see, because the way I program my show is uh, I, I put a whole load of music that I potentially will play. And half of that will get played but it's all there to potentially be played. And depending on 
what I'm playing around it, some of it will get played and some of it won't get played because I also have other things that are going on in the show in terms of sessions and interviews. And so, you know, you're going to play music that connects to the interview. And so other things get pushed to one side. And so the, the times when I am really methodical and I've worked out everything I'm going to play in a show, sometimes those are great and other times those are a bit disappointing because there's no element of surprise for me as the person who's doing it. And I, I really like that element of surprise. <laughs> I love the uh, exasperation. I can sense it. <laughs> you need more hours to play more music on the radio. <laughs> I do. And it, it's always a... A thing. I mean, it's funny because um, in 2020, my hours have been halved. And yet there have been times when my hours have gone up. And so there was one point when I had something like 20 hours a week to fill. And that still wasn't enough time. So that there are never enough hours in the day. And then when you are doing 20 hours a week, that's kind of too much. You know, it's exhausting. And, you know, when it's just six hours, that's clearly not enough. But at the same time, it, it is quite a lot. You know, it, it's, it's, it's a funny thing. Yeah. Uh, we'll talk some more about the show uh, in a little while. Uh, for now, it's time to dip into the box here. I, I want your five picks, John, from uh, 45 in this record box. Okay, so all the questions are on 45 sleeves down here. It's a nice setup you have. <laughs> you know, it, how to DJ, this is a quite a moral and philosophical debate that you create with this show, I think. No, it's quite tricky because I don't know whether DJs are that much into reflection. Um, they're often living in the moment. And, and so the, you know, you're asking questions that, that question who we are and what we're doing. <laughs> I think there's a lot of instinct involved in responding to that specific question, how to DJ. Yeah, it's really tricky. OK, uh, into the box. You'll have to say when and I'll pull one out. OK, great. When? Complete this. Never, never. <laughs> oh. Wow, that's an interesting one. So is the idea that um, uh, something that you would never, ever play or uh, never, ever um, miscue something? Or, you know, what, what, what's the premise? I, I, I don't know. It, it could be whatever you want it to be. Wow. Maybe uh, let me steer you in some way. Let's, on a radio show, never, never. Never swear. Yeah, good. Okay. When you're DJing out, never, never. Spill your drinks all over the decks and equipment. So I guess don't pull the plug. No, <laughs> don't power down. What about when you meet a, an excitable young band who are telling you that they are going to change the world with their music? Never, never. <laughs> um, just uh, never, never. Tell them to get lost. That, that's just not nice. <laughs> You're too nice. All right. Uh, next question. All right, John. Okay, sure. Another when then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So are they kind of spinning as you're doing this? <laughs> Is that you're flicking through like you'd be in a record shop. So I'll say when now. You can imagine that if you want. It's just me reaching down into a box. Do you wish it was still vinyl and CDs? That's a good question. I mean, a part of me wishes that I could master the technology so I wouldn't need to bring um, all the vinyl and CDs that I carry, um, uh, you know, or CDs really that I carry. I mean, I, I bring far too much stuff around with me um, and I'm envious of the people who turn up with just a, a USB stick and proceed to kill it and um, play a storming set um, because I've got 
a great big bag that I've lugged around with me all day in order to do the DJing. Do you think um, streaming's changed your world? Yes, in some ways. I mean, streaming um, has changed the way people listen to music. It's changed the way people think about music. um, And it's changed the way people think about radio as well. And obviously, as somebody who's on the radio, and primarily I'm a selector on the radio, I choose the music and I play the music. And you could say that uh, the algorithm could potentially replace that and also the people behind the scenes who are involved with these streaming services are, are really great and really clued up and have amazing knowledge and taste. Um, and so they're, they're kind of rivaling us in some way. But I think for in, with regard to radio, people like that human interaction. So they, they like hearing the person um, on the radio as well. So they want that combination of human um, warmth combined with the music and and streaming can't provide that um, because it doesn't have any human warmth in it um, and it's really interesting how the algorithm is kind of a dj in itself it's choosing music based on your taste or based on um, the taste that you've kind of lined up and triggering things that you wouldn't have heard but you potentially might like if you've liked the things that they've studied what you've already played and listen to and so it's it's really interesting in that respect um and i enjoy it in that respect too something i i don't enjoy is um the occasional gaps you get between the tracks <laughs> it's not as good as a dj <laughs> because sometimes it's playing tracks which have a really quiet bit at the beginning or a really quiet bit at the end and it doesn't necessarily cut them off so you have these long gaps sometimes that a dj a professional dj would get rid of and and keep the music going i mean it's not always the case sometimes they have these great crossfading facilities but do you know what i mean yeah i I definitely agree with you um on algorithms i think algorithms are amazing and they're more sophisticated and cleverer than ever but what algorithms don't have is love Mm. that not made with personal love and that i think for me is is the beauty of uh, music radio where the dj has a say in what what he or she is playing and and can deliver each song with real passion yeah definitely and i think that the same is true in a in a club um it's quite interesting where you can go to you know because any bar any club in a way can um, put it its own playlist together and just let it run through the speakers and everybody can enjoy the music and and they do but sometimes there is a big difference when you actually have a dj there doing the same thing in effect but the crowd get more involved they get more uh, reactive and and it, it seems to me that the dj just kind of adds an extra something for the crowd seeing somebody there in a booth or at the end of the bar uh, playing some songs and smiling and and kind of enjoying the music with them i think that they they really like that. Uh, John, you used the word selector. Tell me about, and and every act listening is going to want to know about this, Uh, tell me about the structure of your shows. What do you do? How how does it work? The radio show, um, well, I mean, you can structure it in a number of different ways. One of the key ingredients is that I have guests on the show. So I feature bands who come in and, and perform music either live on the radio or they've pre-recorded something. Um, and so there are guests and, and sessions. So they, they automatically give something a, a structure because you're going to have a specific place uh, within the duration of the show that those are going to go in. And um, you know the conversation uh, has to be squeezed into certain places too um and the funny thing is that sometimes some people prefer it when it's just music no guests no talk they just want me to play the songs play some things that they haven't heard before 
and and sometimes you get a great reaction to those kind of shows because um, you're just trying to squeeze in as much music as possible. And then some people love it when the guests come in and they do something special or, or they reveal something really interesting about themselves in the chat. And so because I plan ahead, so the structure is slightly determined by the, the guests and the sessions that I've got planned for that. But it, apart from that, the other structure of it, I have a few little features that I have on the show that kind of in a way are placed in certain places and so you work around those as well and of course it's a a radio show on a commercial radio station and so we run adverts and that creates another kind of structure so you have these two or three ad breaks and in some ways they act as a, as a kind of pause and you can start up again after the ad break and I know that I remember talking to Zane Lowe um, years ago when he made a move from XFM to Radio 1 and for a little while he missed the ad breaks because they were a, a kind of moment for him to recharge and and then after the ad break you could go at it again and and I think that he had got used to that way of, of working and so he had to kind of adjust to um, not having ads and not having those little breaks that were built into the structure of the show. Um, you know, and obviously he adjusted <laughs> quite easily. <laughs> so I, I, am I answering the question for yeah, you, Chris? I, I think uh, so. You know. what, what I want to do is uh, like have a little peek behind the, the velvet curtain, if you like. Um, maybe a couple mm. of quick ones. Um, how many songs per hour on average? I guess when it is broken down, it's about 13 songs per yeah. hour. I think without the ad breaks, you might get up to, you know, 16 yeah. maybe. Um, and then that can, it depends. If you're playing lots of kind of two-minute bangers, then you can get a lot more songs into the, that hour. And then if you're playing something that's 10 minutes long, 15 minutes long, then suddenly it's like, oh, no, that was amazing, but I haven't got any time to play any of these other songs. I guess I'm asking for any young band wanting to know how on earth they're going to get played. It, it, you've got to understand that there are only uh, 13, 14 songs in, in every hour. What about... Um, Another kind of behind-the-scenes question, John. Uh, big songs out of the, the top of the hour, big songs out of the news and ad breaks? Yeah, I mean, there is that, that, that kind of thing. You know, there are those, those kind of formal radio things that you adhere to a little bit. And, um, yeah, there's a certain kind of uh, familiarity that is helpful with coming out of the, the top of the hour and out of the ad break with songs that you've already played, maybe, so people might recognise them. And it can change over time and uh, it's constantly evolving and um, your approach to it is constantly evolving. And so sometimes, you know, especially in the past, I might have gone for a big tune out of the top of the hour that I think is a big tune. (laughs) But it might be something that people immediately turn off because uh, it's it's not the right kind of big tune. I mean, I'm a a bit of a sucker for something that grabs your attention. Um, And I love playing music that grabs your attention, particularly at those key moments. Um, But it might grab your attention in in the wrong way, depending on your point of view. So I might go for something that's really, really noisy and in your face, and other people don't necessarily want that. And, you know, I've had discussions with um, the music programmers at, at the radio station about this kind of thing over the years, and um, you know, I, I've moved more towards their their positioning. I, I think you know, for an easy life. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> for an easy life. <laughs> How to DJ with Chris Hawkins? Still to come. Any time that that happens. That is a, a, a great moment that kind of fills you with a, a little uh, swell of the chest. I mean, these things happen, and 
you know, it's not the end of the world. Uh, but there are times when you think it is. Back into the box, John. Say when. When. What's your biggest and proudest DJ moment, John? Wow, biggest and proudest. You, you can't have pride. Pride is a sin. Uh, <laughs> um, sorry, my, my religious upbringing is coming through. Um, as we've kind of outlined a little bit, I live in the moment so much that it's hard to remember anything. And also there's this part of this, this uh, discussion in a way for me is this radio versus club, club versus radio debate. And being a radio DJ and being a club DJ uh, are quite different. I mean, there are similarities, but there, there are differences as well. And so um, if I were to say a proudest moment in terms of radio is just still being on the radio is, is a miracle. Um, so, you know, I'm pretty kind of proud of that uh, proudest moment in a club is just any moment when you see a load of happy faces and people enjoying themselves I mean any time that that happens that is a, a, a great moment that kind of fills you with a, a little uh, swell of the chest and you feel proud at that point uh, of course it can all go pear-shaped immediately afterwards when you really make a, a fatal mistake and play the wrong tune do you kick yourself if, if you feel like you have played the wrong tune, either on the radio or in a club? Uh, yes. <laughs> yeah. And and you try and make amends somehow. I mean, these things happen. And, um, you know, it's not the end of the world. Uh, but there are times when you think it is. Yeah, I know that feeling. Uh, right, back in the box, my friend. Uh, OK, John, for question four now. Say when. When. Which two unlikely records go well together? Right. Gosh, that is a difficult question, but something that if you manage to pull it off is really exciting um, and really gratifying. Um, I mean, thinking about this chat today, you made me realise how long it's been since I played in a, a club because of COVID. You know, I haven't done that for ages. And um kind of part of being a DJing in a way it, it is is doing it regularly um, so that you're in touch with what you've got um, and also having enough distance between those jobs as well so that you just don't repeat yourself and so in some ways the, the two biggest kind of uh, contrasts or, or kind of about faces are, are all about you know what's going on at the time because if you're playing two really big tunes but they're completely different from each other then because of the time that you're playing them not necessarily you know 12 30 at night or, or whatever but in terms of the the context of what's going on if they're two big tunes that everybody reacts to in different ways then you can get away with it and so I know I'm not specifically answering your question um, in terms of like this track and that track because it constantly changes in, in many ways. Yeah, it depends on the crowd. And that goes for the radio too. There is something that you sense, isn't there, I even in the studio? Yes, it's true. I mean, I'm definitely somebody who who likes to take people with me or tries to take people with me in terms of what I'm playing. So um, when you do that complete left turn, um, you kind of think about it and try and do it in such a way that it won't turn people off that instead it will bring people with you and instead they'll enjoy the surprise of that but in terms of bringing people with you often the problem is you know you get into a groove with a certain kind of style or sound and and it's quite easy to 
go too long in that. You know, you need to change it up. And that can apply to the radio or the club. But because it's so easy, say, say if you're in a club and you're playing drum and bass, and, and I love drum and bass, and I'd be quite happy to suddenly just do non-stop drum and bass for uh, the rest of the time. Um, but then there are some people who hate drum and bass. And often <laughs> you're in a club and you're saying, you know, people come up to you and say, are you, are you just playing drum and bass then? And you've played like one drum and bass tune. But <laughs> do, do, do you know what I mean? I mean it's, it's really funny. Yeah. Uh, what about, can I press you? What about two that you always know will go well together? That are completely different from each other. Uh, yeah, you know what? Let's do two that you know are guaranteed nailed on always winning tunes together. Okay. Um, so, I mean, that can be, in terms of styles, I tend to match things. I like playing, say, Vampire Weekend's A-Punk alongside Blitzkrieg Bop by the Ramones yeah. um, because it has a lot of haze in it, and I like that. That's nice. I mean, in terms of those those kind of classic old records that communicate across the generations, you could do a nice combination of My Generation along with Pretty Vacant or, or something like that uh, in terms of rabble rousing um and and it's nice to play things that regardless of whether it's uh you know the crowd are teens or 20s or 40s or 50s that they can still like you know they know this song um i mean often you know nowadays people don't know blitzkrieg bop is blitzkrieg bop it's just that hey ho (laughs) tune and they like that (laughs) they've heard it in an advert and so there's things like that i mean two other things you could play um, drop it like it's hot by Snoop Dogg. Yeah, and another hip hop tune beside that. You know, something by Jay Z or something by Kanye. Those are guaranteed floor fillers that you know you need in your bag yeah. for those moments because that's the thing. You're kind of in a way you you take risks and you push it, and then when you think you've kind of pushed it too far, you need some guaranteed uh, floor fillers um, that you can reach to that will pull things back for you. You know, that will save. Your bacon. Yeah, I'm still keen to, to get two unlikely uh, records that, that go well together. I think you're nearly there. Okay. Um, hmm. With Snoop there, I was starting to think, yeah, my generation into Snoop. Well, I would do that, you know. I mean, I, I would be happy to do that. And, and often, sometimes when you're pressed for time, you can do that. So you might play The Prodigy followed by, you know, something completely different. Some bands like The Prodigy, in a way, they're a great transition band because they're so extreme in some ways that you can play anything beside them. Um, And in a way, it will work because you could go rocky, you could go funky, you could go in a soul direction, you could go in a house direction um, because they connect to so many different kinds of people that they're quite useful in that respect. I think the message is uh, it, be prepared for any scenario, isn't it? Oh, yeah, completely. I mean, that's why I bring too much stuff. I mean, in some ways, you know, if you limit yourself, maybe you're better off, but I, 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 I can't do that. I have to bring everything. John, back into the box for the final time. Uh, you say when. When. Do you care as much about what you say as what you play? Gosh, that is a really interesting question. Um, yes, I do. Um, I think you need a, a balance of both. One of the great things about being a DJ on the radio is that you get to let the music talk for you. Um, and, you know, if you're stumbling in how you're trying to express yourself, you can just play the music and and let the music do the talking. And I, I really like that. I, I once uh, sat in with a friend of mine who was on LBC, that's a talk station, 
And I hadn't quite realised just how much talking they have to do. So I was just hanging out. And normally if you go and hang out in another station studio, you can leave when the music starts playing or, or, or you know, there are moments when you can sneak out. But when somebody has to talk nonstop, then there's no moment when you can kind of sneak out. And, and it's such a, a skill to be able to do that. I was pretty much in awe of this person because I was like, wow, how on earth do they do that? But sometimes it's nice to be natural when you're speaking and, and just you know be your, yourself. Sometimes you're better off planning something a little bit. It depends what you're trying to get across. Uh, but you do have to think about what you've got to say and you do have to clarify if you do mess up, I think. Yeah, how much do you prepare those links? Uh, how, how much is written? Very little. <laughs> Not enough, I th- I'm sure some people would say to me. You know, sometimes you need to kind of balance it. So I, I like to try and do a few links with, that are quite simple and straightforward. Some kind of that was, this is uh, a station ident and you can compose yourself. And other times you can ramble away and uh, try and explain yourself. I mean, sometimes it, it's, it's interesting because sometimes you could be really focused. You know, you, you're really trying to explain something and sometimes you can be really focused about that. And sometimes you, you can only be focused when you, you're in conversation with somebody else, you know. But as becomes apparent in this kind of conversation, we're constantly trying to express ourselves and clarify and get to the point better. No, and that can be difficult. Some people are so good at it. I'm, I'm in awe of them. And that's why I, I listen to a lot of radio and I'm constantly amazed by how articulate people are and, and in awe of them. Yeah, same. Uh, A quick one, uh, John, about the Mercury Prize. I mentioned at the start that you've been uh, one of the judges on the Mercury Prize panel for best part of 10 years. How does it work? How does the judging for the Mercury Prize work? Well, it's a conversation in a way. Um, So I'm no longer a judge on the Mercury Prize, just to make that clear. Um, And so basically... You know, to, to be judged in the Mercury Prize, you have to enter the Mercury Prize. Um, there's a fee attached to that. And then everybody who's on the judging panel, so it's like a jury, there are 12 members of that panel, um, has to or tries to listen to all the entries. So say if there's 200 albums, 300 albums, you listen to all of those. And then you come up with a long list of your own that you think are the, we'll say, 25 uh, that you think are the, the best of those. Um, you submit that long list. Um, then that long list gets drawn up into uh, another long list um, of all the different judges' thoughts. Um, and then you have a meeting about that long list and you discuss all the positive virtues of all these albums that are on that list. And then from that discussion, you make a shorter list of your own. And then all those different short lists are submitted. And then from that short list, another shortlist arrives and that is the final um, 12 albums that that comprise the list. And then you have another meeting on the day of the prize and often that will be on the very evening of the prize. So sometimes the result isn't arrived at until a few minutes before the announcement. And you have a kind of discussion and a debate and Everybody has their favourites and you try and argue um, that your favourite is better than another favourite. And and in some ways, that's a ridiculous thing. And everybody in the room knows it. But everybody in the room is a music lover. And it's a wonderful opportunity to have this kind of conversation um, with all these people from various different 
music connected backgrounds and and so in that way it's it's a lot of fun um, because there is an end to it there is some purpose to it it's not just down the pub as great as those conversations are down the pub this has that little extra purpose um, which is a, a really nice thing and it can be quite heated people can get quite grumpy <laughs> about it yeah John, uh, what's your favourite gear? What What are your preferred decks, mixers, speakers, headphones? Well, I mean, I guess the standard is a couple of Pioneer CDJs and uh, a comparable mixer. If I were to choose, I'd like a Pioneer mixer that has a few effects that you can throw in because that's always a bit of fun. Uh, not that I'm particularly good at it, but it is fun. Uh, <laughs> and so, yeah, I mean, I, I would personally prefer that kind of setup but i mean i'm happy go lucky or i like to think of myself actually i'm i say that and i'm thinking of all the people who who have subsequently complained that i was complaining um about the dj setup um but you know you you take what you're given to a certain extent but i do like the setup to be reasonably good there's got to be enough space for your stuff you don't want to be too vulnerable in terms of the crowd jumping on top of you or spilling all their drinks all over you and that that kind of thing which can often happen but yeah no i'm happy with that industry standard of two pioneer cdjs and ideally maybe you'd have three because uh, that that can in terms of creativity give you opportunity um not that i would necessarily use it but and then combine that with a pioneer mixer yeah i'd be very happy cool john uh, finally there's some kind of non-specific catastrophic event where there's a bizarre caveat where you have to play the very last song on a global dance floor. What would that be? What a nightmare situation um, for everybody. Um, and you know the responsibility of playing the last tune on earth. Th- this is such a big question um, that in some ways, as I've tried to dodge all of your questions, I was thinking, oh, well, I'd quite like to hear something like, Journey to Satchinanda by Alice Coltrane or, or something like In a Silent Way by Miles Davis, you know, something peaceful um, that would allow you a moment of reflection. But on the other hand, if you're playing the last tune for everybody to go crazy to because they know that it's all going to be over, then maybe, you know, you want to play something that everybody would react to and enjoy. You know, maybe a, a DJ often is playing to a room of drunken people who just want to shout along and hug each other and in some ways that moment that you're describing is kind of like that you know if it's the end of the world it's the end of the night you want a great big sing-along but then do you want it to have some kind of connection so do you go for REM's it's the end of the world and I feel fine (laughs) you know I mean I did think maybe that would be a good one (laughs) no and and so but it's so tricky because you're playing to the whole of the world so you've got to cross language barriers and you've got to cross uh, genre barriers and taste barriers and generational barriers and that's so difficult it's such a difficult task you know because I did think well maybe you should play something like Justice versus Simeon, you know, we are your friends, you know, that would be nice, that's always celebratory. I mean, then again, the end of the night, the end of the world, you've got to take a positive outlook. Would you go for Nina Simone, feeling good? No, I mean, I'd be tempted to go for that. It's a very, very difficult question, and you'd have to read the room, Chris, and see what was going on. You'd have to read the world and see what you thought that they, they would want. 
No wonder your shows take so long to put together. Oh, I know. It's a nightmare. But, I mean, you know, it's a, it's a nightmare question. I mean, I think the thing is, a DJ lives in the moment, and it, whether they're on the radio or, or the club, and, and in some ways, you know, being faced with this, you know, that last tune of the night, be it of the radio show or of the club set, can be a quandary. You know, you, you want it to, to round up in a, in a nice way. And, and so you can go out with a, a bang or go out with, with something gentle and soothing and, and calming. And depending on what's happened before, you would choose one or the other. So if this is a surprise to everybody that's the end of the world, and that could be an extreme moment of panic, then maybe you need to provide some calm. But if this is something that people have had time to reflect on, um, then maybe they're ready to just think, stuff it, no we were lucky to be alive you know what either way i'd be happy if it were you playing that song (laughs) you're such a charming man chris thank you very much whatever it ended up being john uh, you're such a top guy uh so well loved and i can't thank you enough for coming on thank you so much uh, john kennedy and that was how to dj Thanks for listening. Please remember to follow us wherever you get your podcast from. 